We've been talking and walking through our Cottondale Catechism, which we have said are the uh, fundamental questions and answers that we can remind ourselves of every day so that we can live in view of whose we are, what we do, and as we're going to talk about today, why we do it. And so, so far we've talked about whose are we, and we said that we are Christ. And the Bible actually says that in um, a number of places where we are, it is said, you are Christ. And as I've said, as I said last time, if you've missed any of these messages, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to them just because I do, my desire is for these to be very central to the life of our church as we recite them every week. And we preach to ourselves the gospel over and over, remind ourselves of whose we are, what we do, and why we do it, until the, until it becomes the air we breathe, and until we fully embrace the identity that God has given to us so that we cannot view ourselves apart from belonging to Jesus and making disciples. And so we are Christ, and so we talked about that and the privileges of being a child of God. Yesterday, uh, last Sunday, we talked about what we do and that, and that is that the fundamental mission that God has given us is that of making disciples. So we exist to make disciples when God created humanity, said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we talked about how that meant that we were to spread God's glory and image because we are the image of God. And we were made to spread God's glory and image over the whole world, ruling under God's authority, exercising dominion under God's authority, and, and, and spreading his image and glory throughout the earth. And the way that is now fulfilled in the new covenant through Jesus Christ is not merely through physical children, but through spiritual children by the proclamation of the gospel and by new birth through the Holy Spirit, we are reborn, remade into the image of God. And that his image is to spread his, the, the image of Christ is to be spread over all the earth through spiritual rebirth, through the proclamation of the gospel. And that is the mission, which is why Jesus said the gospel will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. And then the end would come. So Jesus is awaiting his, his return is awaiting until the mission is fulfilled, that his image is spread over all the earth. And that's going to tie in a little bit to what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so we've talked about whose we are. We've talked about what we are to do, what we do. And so finally, we're going to ask the question, why do we do what we do? Why do we make disciples? Why do we do it? Okay, so here we are. Here we go. Whose are we? We are Christ. What do we do? We make why do we do it? Here's the answer. Because he is worthy. One person's got it. Because he is worthy. Because he is worthy. Why do we do it? Because he is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise, all adoration, all honor, all glory, all allegiance. And that is why we make disciples. Because when we look at our Children, our grandchildren, our neighbor, when we think about the person across the street, across the county, when we think about the person across the world, when you look a person in the eye, that Jesus Christ is worthy of that person's total love and allegiance and affection. That's the reason, the ultimate, well, there's many reasons, but that's the ultimate reason we make disciples. And we're gonna 
talk about this from Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. So let me give you a second to turn there. In this is Revelation, and so this is John's vision, right? The the um uh, it's, it's the, it's Jesus, it's God revela- revealing the revelation or, or apocalypse, right? A revelation, a revealing of the inner workings of heaven so that John can understand something at least of what is coming. But the revelation is so instructive because it gives us a glimpse into the inner workings of heaven and helps us to see in a way that, uh, it was veiled the, the true and full glory of Christ that he deserves and is worthy of. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about why do we do it. From Revelation chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures uh, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Word of God, you may be seated. 
Why do we do what we do? We do it because, why do we make disciples? We do it because he is worthy. And we're going to see four reasons from this passage. I want to look at four reasons from this passage. Why Jesus is worthy. Number one, he is worthy to unfold history. He is worthy to unfold history. In verse 5, it says, Weep no more, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So he's conquered, which has made him worthy to unfold history. So we have John in the book of Revelation. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day in exile on the island of Patmos. Exiled by the Roman authorities for his witness and testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And John sees this vision of Jesus and it staggers the mind. And most, and you know, most of it's very symbolic and it makes it very difficult to see exactly what's trying to be communicated here. But we get insight into the inner workings of heaven and so John sees uh, the throne room of heaven itself. And he sees the, the worship that attends God in the throne, around the throne and the Lamb. And he sees this scroll that's written on the front and on the back. And, and, and there's this question that is asked, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And a search is made throughout all the cosmos. Heaven, earth, under the earth, search is made throughout all existence to find someone who is worthy to open this scroll. And no one was found. And then John says that he began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into this. And I don't know about you, but I've read this passage before and you read about John weeping and part of me in my mind just makes me feel like I'm missing something. I mean, when I read that and when, when I read for the first time that no one was worthy to open the scroll, I didn't cry about it. Did you? There you go. So it makes me wonder, John, what am I missing? What am I missing? There's obviously more gravity to this situation than I'm recognizing, and I need to figure out what it is. And I'm not sure that we can feel its full weight today, but maybe God and his spirit will help us. There's debate as to what the scroll represents. But my inclination is to say that the scroll represents the unfolding plan and will of God for human history. So the scroll, in my mind, represents what got the, the uh, eschatology, which means the, the theology of the end times. The scroll represents the unfolding of God's purposes leading up to the end of days. Right, God's plan and God's will for human history. So, and and that seems quite clear to me because as the scroll begins to be opened, as you read further through Revelation, right, these huge cataclysmic events begin 
to happen, which, which, which leads to further events. You know, you got the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, but it all climaxes into the, 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 the final cataclysmic judgment on the world with the return of Jesus Christ. And so these are, so the, the breaking of the seals and the opening of the scroll is the unfolding, the unrolling of the purposes of God, the, the, the furthering of human history, bringing it to its appointed end that God has had planned since the foundation of the world. And notice that God has a plan and that plan doesn't merely happen on its own, but God uses means to accomplish his ends. And the means through which God has is fulfilling his plans for the glory of God and for the joy of mankind is is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus stands at the center point. He stands as the one who is central to the purposes of God and is the one who has been appointed to be worthy to bring them to fruition. So as Jesus breaks these seals, right, these cataclysmic events occur that seem to increase in severity, culminating in his return. At which point, at which point the Bible says when Christ returned, those who don't know Jesus will cry out for the mountains to fall on them to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. So the scroll represents God's unfolding purposes. It represents, I believe, the 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 judgment of of the sin of the world and and not just that but of course the final consolation and comfort and vindication of the saints because of their faith-filled trust and and endurance of suffering for his name's sake right that's that's really what the book of revelation is about and, the, and so the bible as i read it is that they understand that it it seems quite clear to me that things will get worse before they get better. And that the saints will be called to endure many things for the sake of Christ. And they will be, like Jesus said, as a sheep among wolves. And they will suffer and endure many things for Christ's name's sake. But, but we are able to endure because Christ has promised us that there will be a consolation. That there will be a reward. That there will be a vindication. That people who mock us and people that who, who, who mistreat us and we don't demand our rights and we don't fight back and we, and we, and we turn the other cheek and we endure suffering for his name's sake, that will all be vindicated when Christ returns and the world realizes that we were telling the truth. And everyone who hoped in him will receive their reward. And everyone who went on in unrepentance will receive their due punishment. So what does this mean then if this is what the scroll represents? If the scroll could not be opened, what it means essentially is that God's purposes for the world cannot be completed. It means that sin will not ultimately be judged by God. It means that all those who have suffered for the name of Christ in hope of future vindication and resurrection suffered for nothing. It means if if God's purposes for the world cannot be unfolded, it means sin has won. It means Satan and his schemes have been victorious. And not the plans and the purposes of God. 
And John and all and his brother. Remember, John is the last living apostle. According to church tradition, every single one of the apostles died as a martyr for the testimony of, for the witness and testimony of Christ. And if there is no one who can open the scroll, all their deaths were for nothing. All the sufferings of the saints was for nothing. A cosmic waste of time. And so he weeps loudly because no one is worthy. To break the scroll and open its seals until an elder puts a hand on John's shoulder. And he says, weep no more. Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered so that he is worthy. He is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. Jesus is worthy to unfold and fulfill the purposes of God for the world. Jesus alone is worthy to bring about the just judgment of God in the world. Remember, that's what Jesus said, that the Father has entrusted to the Son all judgment. Because he is worthy. Because he knows every thought. He knows every secret. He knows the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. He is patient. He is merciful. But the time of patience will come to an end. And what has been done in secret will be disclosed in public. And everyone will receive their due reward. He is worthy to bring about the end time purposes of God. Because he himself is the climax of all of human history. He is the one that everyone has been waiting for since the very first promise of God ever made to mankind when man, when man sinned and sin entered the world and God said, you've ruined everything, but there will be an offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That he is, Jesus is the one. He is the fulfillment. He is worthy to unfold history because all history has been waiting for him. And history as we know it will be completed when the last seal is broken, when the last trumpet sounds, when the last bowl is poured out. And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth will say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus is worthy to unfold history. So we make disciples for him. Number one. Number two. Jesus is worthy because he was slain. Jesus is worthy because he was slain. It says in in verse six, it says between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So now to all the earth. And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, commentators point out something interesting in the 
book of Revelation. And that is that there seems to be this kind of interesting um, uh, just juxtaposition of images, uh, kind of an irony, kind of a su- surprising way in which things unfold before John's eyes, right? So John is weeping about the the, the purposes of God and no one worthy to unfold them from the world. And then the elder reaches out to him and says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. But when John looks, what does he see? Not a lion, but a lamb. And not just a lamb, but a lamb who had been slain. What does that mean? It, it means Jesus is the line. It means Jesus has conquered, but not through might, but through meekness. He overcame. Jesus overcame. He conquered, not by taking lives, but by laying down his. And that, biblically, in the heart and mind of God, that is true greatness. What it means to conquer, what it means to overcome in the sight of God, how one obtains the highest place in the kingdom of God is not by asserting oneself, but by denying oneself. That's, that's, just, that's just how God works. Jesus said, don't put yourself at the head of the table. You sit at the lowest seat and then the master of the house will come and say, sit here. Jesus will obtain and has obtained the name that is above every name because there was no place too low that he didn't put himself. Willingly, on purpose, he chose to be the least. And God raised him up to be the highest. Jesus is worthy. He has overcome, as Paul says in Philippians, because though he was in the form of God, verse 6, he did not, uh, Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there was no place. So remember, there, there was to the, to the Roman mind and to the Jewish mind for that matter, there was no indignity so great as being crucified. A Roman citizen, if you were an actual citizen of the Roman Empire, you couldn't even be crucified. That was too harsh for an actual person who possessed citizenship. Okay? Only criminals and the scum of the earth would be crucified. And and for the Jews, they understood, according to the Old Testament law, that, that cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And yet Jesus took himself and put himself on the cross, willingly choosing to die for the sins of other people, became a curse for us 
so that we have, wouldn't have to endure it himself. And because of that, Paul says again in verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The same exact language in, John, in Revelation. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus is seen in his glory, there is no question who's the greatest. No one will question it. People who today will worship and serve and do anything and everything with in, in total rebellion or just total indifference to the reality of God, no matter what, who it is, no matter what we believe, no matter what we serve, the fact of the matter is one day at the revelation, the Bible speaks of it as the revelation of Jesus Christ, everyone will know who is Lord. No one will have to think twice about it. And either your knee is going to bend willingly or it will break under the sheer glory of the presence of God as it bows before King Jesus. He is Lord of all because there is no indignity he wasn't willing to endure for us. Even the cruel, humiliating death of a Roman cross to pay the penalty for sins that belong to other people. He is worthy to be the lion because he embraced being the lamb. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we got to follow in his footsteps. And that is the way that we conquer, the way that we overcome is by embracing being the lamb, being lamb-likeness. This, and that's what, that's what John says over and over in Revelation. He says they overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Those who love not their own life even unto death. I will give to them the crown of life. He is worthy because he was slain. So we make disciples for him. So number one, he's worthy to unfold history. Number two, he's worthy because he was slain. Number three, he's worthy because he's ransomed people from all nations. He's worthy because he's ransomed people from all nations. In verse 9, it says they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering, Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them sang, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He's worthy to unfold history. He's worthy because he's slain. And next, he's worthy because he's ransomed people from all nations. So we talked about, we talked about it last time. 
that God's plan from creation in being fruitful and multiply was to fill the earth with faithful image bearers of God. And so despite the fact that there are so many different ethnicities, so many different cultures, so many different colors of skin, from the biblical perspective, all human beings, without exception, trace their lineage back to one man named Adam. So biblically speaking, there was one race, the human race. And therefore, all people are vastly more alike than they are different. We all were made in the image of God. We all exist by God, through God, for God. We exist to know God, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. As the Westminster divine said, as we've been talking about, we exist, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is true of all people. Without exception, no matter who you are, no matter where you were born. So, so what God did is deal with our greatest problem because in the fall, sin did what? Sin marred and perverted and distorted the image of God so that we do not image God as we were made to. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth another man, uh, one who Paul refers to as the second Adam, one untainted by sin, so that he could essentially be for us what we couldn't be for ourselves. He could be what God demanded of us, what God deserves from us, what God is worthy of from us, but we could not actually give him because of our sin and rebellion. So Jesus came and did what we could not do, to offer his life as a substitute, to pay for sins, not his own, to pay for the penalty of sin for all who believe in him so that the same humanity that came from Adam might be restored to the image through Jesus Christ that we were made to be all along, which is why Paul in 2 Corinthians says that beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. Through Christ, we are being reconformed to the image of God. And so through Christ, all humanity can be reborn and remade and, and finally fulfill the purpose that we were made to fulfill. And that is spread the image and glory of God over all the earth. So there is one humanity. Jesus came to save all people by the shedding of his blood. So Jesus Christ came to save people whose skin is black, whose skin is white, whose skin is brown. Jesus came to save people from Asia, to save people from Africa, to save people from Europe and North America and South America and Australia and even the handful of people who live in Antarctica. Everyone belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. God made all. He is worthy of the worship of all and he will have what belongs to him. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ will be praised. In every nation. 
I mean, it, it's happening right now. That's, that's like, we just, we just, we have to grasp where we stand. There are millions. In fact, some estimate within hundreds of millions. You realize there's like 300 plus million people in, in America, but there's like over a billion people in China. That's a lot of people. There's estimates of hundreds of millions of believers in China. Jesus Christ is being praised all over the world. Jesus Christ will be praised in Mandarin. Jesus Christ will be praised in Hindi. He will be praised in Arabic. He will be praised in English. The name of Jesus Christ will be lifted high in French, German, Russian, and Spanish. He will be adored in Swahili, Malagasy, and Igbo. I'll look some of these up. People who you would look at and say, I don't know anything about them. We can't even speak the same language. I can't even conceive that we could be very, that we could even have anything in common. But when you look into the soul of a human being made in the image of God, we're all the same. And even though, and even though we can't, we might not even be able to communicate with them. God can see their heart and they have a language just like we do. And if you learn, and if you ever learn other languages, you realize that they can say the same things that we do. They just say it differently. So they can say that Jesus Christ is Lord just in a different way than we say it. And guess what? They will say it. The, the, the people who live in a hut in the middle of nowhere in Africa that ha, that, that know almost, that have almost nothing compared to what we have, they can hear the gospel and in their own language can say Jesus Christ is Lord. And they will. Because Christ died for the whole world, for all of Adam's children, for all who believe in him. And because of that, he is worthy. He is worthy and he will get what he is worthy of. That's why John in his vision saw every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth crying out blessing and honor and glory and might to him on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So remember, there's, there's no there's no question. If all nations will worship Christ, it's not a question. It's a period. That's why we do missions. That's why we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That's why we pray for missionaries. That's why we pray. That's why we pray that God will raise up people to go and to send. Because Jesus is worthy to be praised. In every nation, language, and tongue. And he will be. So we make disciples because he's worthy. Because he's ransomed people from all nations. So he's worthy to unfold history. He's worthy because he's slain. He's worthy because he's ransomed people from all nations. Finally, he's worthy. Because he's made us a kingdom and priests. He's worthy because he's made us a kingdom and priests. Verse 9 again. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. That's, a, that's an unbelievable claim. An unbelievable statement. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Who? Us. 
Isn't that what God said? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it? That's what we were made to do. We were made to reign with God. Now, just think about this. If all Jesus did was forgive sinners, he'd be worthy of everything we've already talked about today. If that's all he did was forgive sinners, he'd be worthy of that. If all Jesus Christ did was not hold our sins against us, against us, he'd be worthy of our glad servitude forever. If that's all he did. But the Bible says that he's done more than that. Not only have we been ransomed from the, from the penalty of our sins by his blood, but he has, not only has he lifted us from the pit of, of our sin, he has gone infinitely further than that, and he has lifted us up and put us on the throne with him. That's what the Bible says. It would be enough to be God's slave, but the Bible says he's made us sons and kings. He has made us a kingdom and priest. We're not just saved by God, but we get to reign with God. In the Old Testament, the priests and the Levites, they had no land inheritance among the other tribes. Because the Bible says that God was their inheritance. They alone had the privilege of serving God in the temple to be the closest to his presence. But John, the, 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 the praise and adoration of heaven rings out that he is worthy because he, Jesus Christ, makes all his people kingdom and priests to God. We're all kings and priests of God. That's who we are, right? We have to grasp that. We have to understand that. We're all priests. We all have access to the manifest presence of God through Jesus Christ. We all have the ability to serve as intercessors between God and others through Jesus Christ. We all, we're priests and we're kings. You know, I know, I know some of y'all read the tabloids and you're just too ashamed to admit it. And you probably should be ashamed to be honest with you. But um, in the tabloids, you, you, half the, about three or four days out of the week, the person who's on there is like the, the prince of, one of the princes of England or something about that. And they done done something else. They done done something else. Why? Why do, why do people even care? Why? The only thing, the only thing is because people think that because they're a prince, they should be acting a certain way. There is behavior that is unfitting for kings. The Bible says that we will reign with Jesus. You're a king, you're a queen. There's a behavior unfitting for kings and queens. We cannot forget the high stature 
to which God has lifted us out of our pit, out of the sin, has lifted us up out of that to put us on his throne. And that should fill us with joy, but it should cause us, as the language that Paul uses is, to live worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We have been called and, and declared by God to be greater than we know that we are. And he's saying, live worthy of your calling. We're going through 1 Corinthians on prayer meeting. You should come to prayer meeting. I've said that three weeks in a row now. In Corinth, believers were getting so mad over personal disputes within the church that they were suing one another. How did the Apostle Paul feel about that? I don't know a pastor that never wanted to go Apostle Paul on a church sometime. Because Paul goes ballistic. What does he say? 1 Corinthians 6, 1. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent? Incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? How much behavior in churches isn't befitting of kings? How much do we allow petty things to get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives and in our church? And we can't even figure out a way to deal with it. And Paul says, you're going to judge angels one day and you can't figure this out. You want to sue yourselves and air your dirty laundry before a bunch of unbelievers? When we're going to judge angels? Christ is worthy Because he hadn't just saved us. He's lifted us up to a place far greater than we could ever deserve. Just like that servant that Jesus talked about. You've been faithful in little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We have a high calling. And so we must live worthy of it. He's worthy because he's made us a kingdom and priest. Whose are we? We are Christ. What do we do? We make Why do we do it? Because he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. That, my friends, is the new song. You better learn it. It's a good one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the unbelievable calling of being a child of God. Not only have you forgiven us of our sin, 
but you've set us on the throne with you. Lord, we will judge angels. So Lord, help us to live worthy in the here and now. To live as those who are kings and queens. Children, priests of Most High God. Help us to live worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And Lord Jesus, as I close this morning, I pray that your spirit might draw someone to you who has yet, who has yet, God, to hear this call, who has yet to become a kingdom and priest. I pray that your spirit this morning might grant them to be able to see just a glimpse, God, just a glimpse of your glory. Perhaps they've seen it today for the first time. And they know deep in their heart they need to turn from their sin. Bow the knee to you before it's too late. Gladly surrender and embrace your lordship. So that they can reign with you forever. I pray that by faith they would look to you right now. That they would cry out to you for forgiveness of their sins. And that you would enter enter into them by your spirit. And make them and who they were made to be. Lord, we worship you this morning. You are worthy of all praise, all adoration, all obedience, all our love, all our allegiance. And we give it to you this day. In Christ's name, amen.